Hello and uh, Happy New Year to you all. I never really believe in New Year's, to be honest. But uh, anyway, welcome to <laughs> welcome to the uh, Three Worlds podcast number eight. Um, there's so many New Year's to choose from. I mean, do you celebrate it on the 1st of January or do you celebrate it on the uh, Tibetan New Year in February or do you celebrate it on the 1st of November after Halloween, which is the uh, the first day of the New Year in the old British traditions? I guess there's something to be said about having as many New Year's in a single year as you possibly can. I mean, just just sort of enjoy the party, I guess. <laughs> there's so many of them. Oh, boy. One of my Christmas presents this year was uh, was a calendar that had lots and lots of of different sort of religious uh, um, festivities from around the world on it. And Jan and I spent a happy 10 minutes going through it month by month saying, hey, this week's going to be good for partying. Oh, look at this week here. Wow. <laughs> so uh, enjoy. <laughs> I declare today, Happy New Year from some tradition, and it probably is from some tradition somewhere. Anyway, so I'm back and uh, I'm going to talk about the three worlds and journeying. Um, it dawned on me that it might be quite good to to really go back to sort of basics in many ways, because I'm sure there must be people listening to this who know quite a lot about shamanism. And there also must be a lot of people who really know next to nothing. So forgive me if I'm teaching grandma to suck eggs on this particular podcast, but I'm going to talk about journeying and go right back to that sort of basic level. So what do I mean by journeying? Well, in an awful lot of cultures, there are considered to be three worlds, all stacked upon each other, a bit like a wedding cake, like tiers of a wedding cake, okay? And we live in the middle world, and beneath us is hell, and above us is heaven. Well... Christians kind of pinch the idea. Above us is the upper world, below us is the lower world, and they're nothing like heaven and hell. Well, I suppose the upper world might be a little bit like heaven in that mine quite often has clouds floating around in it and it's in the sky, but that's about as close as the similarity gets. So, what are these worlds and what is journeying and how do you go to them? Okay, well, in lots of different cultures, the worlds are connected either by the world tree or a sacred mountain. And the classical shamanic definition, in a way, is somebody who goes out of their body, in their spirit, and journeys to these other worlds. Now, the lower world is obviously not the one that we live in. The upper world is obviously not the one that we live in. But shamans can also journey to the middle world, which is slightly different to the ordinary everyday reality. It's a little bit like the sort of spiritual or energetic version of ordinary reality. So it's like, uh, it's like seeing ordinary reality through other eyes or through different perceptions. So I'm going to talk about the lower world first of all. These definitions will always vary slightly depending on the culture that you're reading about. If you're reading about a sort of a shaman doing something probably in 19th century or early 20th century anthropological literature, his worldview is going to be from the people that he comes from. But there are going to be similarities between all of those. And I suppose boiling it down to the similarities, the underworld is a landscape. 
It is a place. It is a place of spirits. It is a place where there are animals. And the animals are really the spirits in animal form. Quite often there's a land of the dead in the underworld. And a shaman will journey to that by going down into the ground. They will go down a tunnel like a cave. They will go down a well, maybe. They will go down a crack between a tree root and the ground. Whatever, they will find some form of opening into the ground and they will go down that. And when they get to the bottom, they will find themselves in a landscape. Now, I'll talk a little bit about my landscape and I'll talk about how people get there in a few minutes. But my landscape, my underworld, I always come down to a beach. Well, it's, it's flat rocks by the sea, really. It's like a limestone pavement. On the left-hand side is sea. Ahead of me, further up the coast, is sort of sea with islands in it, and the islands are covered in pine trees. To the right of me is a wooded area that goes uphill. Behind me, as I come down... I come down sort of like through a portal. It's a little bit like a like a circle that I step through, like a hoop. And uh, you can look through it when I'm actually down in the underworld, but I come out through it as I come into the underworld, and I go back out through it as I go up to ordinary reality. So if I look uh, behind me through the hoop and either side of the hoop that I've come in through, the beach continues and actually gets more sandy, and now as I'm facing that way, there is a hill to the left and the sea is on the right. And that stretches down to a sort of heathland. And uh, I can sort of continue walking down there and there are ancient stones and various other places, stones being um, sacred sites like I get in the hills around where I live here. And uh, I, uh, I go down that way very occasionally. I tend to come out of the portal and kind of carry straight on, as it were, rather than double back on myself. It's quite rare that the spirits tell me to go down behind me, down the beach. If I go into the woods, which are away from the sea, then uh, eventually I get to the land of the dead, which is in uh, a glade. Uh, it's sort of like a clearing in amongst the trees. And there is a hole there that goes to what I jokingly call the sub-basement. And the sub-basement is the land of the dead. And I have to go down there and I cross a river uh, of fire on a little narrow bridge. And then there are like catacomb places and tunnels. And that is the land of the dead, which I go into occasionally if I need to. Now, there's other places within the, the lower world. Um, it's a big area. I mean, the lower world for me is, is consistent. It's been consistently like that for the last 10 years. And I gradually, as I've journeyed there... I've, I've explored it more and more, and now in my mind's eye, I have really quite a vast map of the terrain of the underworld. Now, that's my underworld. That's not going to be your underworld. Yours may share some similarities, but it may be completely different. Who knows? And that's the way it should be. That's fine. Now, how do I get to the lower world? I get to the lower world by the use of the drum. I have a, an entrance to the lower world, which is a sea cave. The entrance that I use has gradually changed over the years, but it's been consistent 
I suppose, for about the last five or six. It's a sea cave in a place in Pembrokeshire that I know fairly well called Druidston. Uh, Druid's Stone, which is uh, a beach on the west coast of Pembrokeshire opening uh, out into uh, a small bay which then opens out onto the Atlantic. And there's a cave there. The cave, in reality, is just quite a short cave. But when I am journeying, I will prepare myself. I will either be drumming for myself or listening to somebody else drumming for me or even sometimes using a CD if I'm being lazy. And I will, in my mind's eye, go to that place, go to that cave, and I will walk in. And there will be an opening at the back of the cave, which I know takes me down to the underworld. And there's also another opening which takes me to the middle world, and I'll talk about that in a moment. The openings are not there in reality, in inverted commas, but as I go there in my mind's eye, listening to the drum, I know they are there. And with the drum, I then go into, if I'm going to the lower world, I go into the tunnel that leads to the lower world, and I go down, and I come through that portal, and I find myself on the flat rocks by the sea. Most often it's daytime there, sometimes it's nighttime, sometimes it's very, very, very vivid, other times it's less vivid, and I have to kind of uh, stay with the journey and it becomes more vivid and solid. If I've been down there for any length of time, it becomes very solid, and I kind of realise how solid it's become when I come back into this reality, into ordinary reality, and finish the journey, and then it's like you wake up from kind of almost like a lucid dream it, it, you you haven't realized how far you've gone out or I haven't realized how far I've gone out until I come back again and down there I have adventures I meet my spirits one of my spirits is generally there on the flat rocks uh, he normally has a fire burning and he normally makes me feed the fire with bits of stick for the first few minutes of a journey and I think that's a way for him to help me settle into being there. It's like an acclimatization process. I land through the hoop. He says, come over to the fire. I sit with him by the fire. Sometimes he talks to me, sometimes he doesn't. And I just generally am given sticks to feed the fire. And that's what I do. And then after a few minutes, we start the mission. We do the things that we've got to do. Now, that's lower world in a nutshell. If I have to go to middle world, I will go through the other tunnel in the cave and I will climb up, and I will find myself on top of the cliff. And it's just like it would be in normal reality, but I know it's not. And generally there, another spirit will find me and work with me. And uh, in ordinary reality, it wouldn't be like that, but in middle world reality, uh, I will fly, I will do all the sorts of bits and pieces that you can do in the lower world, but I will go and visit things that are in this world. If I'm going to go and do healing with somebody, and it's not physical, but I'm journeying to do a healing, I will go to that person in Middle World. I will maybe go and work with the spirits of the lands. For instance, I live in the Priscelli Mountains, so the spirits of the Priscellis are quite powerful spirits, so I might go and work with them, or I might go and meet with them. I've met the spirits of the Priscellis on journeys before. Um, I will perhaps be shown something in Middle World. If you were looking for something that was lost, you would look for it in Middle World. If you were part of a tribal society that relied on hunting, you would seek the animals that you were hunting in Middle World. If you were working for the CIA 
and you had to do far seeing and see what uh well i was going to say uh, kgb but that's that's dating me a bit it's probably al-qaeda nowadays what al-qaeda were doing uh on a kind of astral um psychic viewing type position you would do that in middle world so that's the place of spies and hunting and anything that's to do with the physical world but you want to see it in a spiritual dimension or a energetic dimension now upper world i don't really ever go to upper world very much except through lower world i really always almost always 99% of the time start my journeys in lower world other people are not like that other people will quite often have a way of going up into upper world directly from ordinary reality they will perhaps uh go into a place where there's a chimney and they will step into a fire and rise up in the smoke there's lots of different things they may climb a tree and go up into the branches and leap into the sky from the top there's lots of different ways because there's lots of different people spirits have never given me away from ordinary reality if if they want to take me to the upper world then i always start from lower world it's very rare that i go even to middle world from ordinary reality but once i'm in lower world they will take me all over the place so i may be in lower world and uh maybe a bird spirit will come to me and say you got to go to upper world or you got to go to middle world and i will fly up and go into those other levels so describing my upper world is that i obviously go into middle world or at least through middle world to go to it and there's a rainbow and sorry about this it's kind of it's it's almost embarrassing because it's so sort of classic and a bit twee but there's a rainbow and i climb to the top of the rainbow and at the top of the rainbow there is a door and i go in through the door and then i'm in upper world and my upper world is a bit confusing lower world is very solid and in a way quite every day there's a definite geography to it i know where the hills are the valleys are the islands the land of the dead the trees the forests it's like it's all coherent and i can go from point a to point b upper world is not like that for me i generally go through the door and find myself in a sort of garden wood type place um but then there's other areas of it and i never know quite how i get there there's an area that's like a large greenhouse uh it's like a kind of 19th century palm house almost and there are often spirits in there working with plants and and sort of packing them in in sort of plant pots and it's a vast place and there's also a mountain in the upper world uh which almost corresponds to the land of the dead in the lower world it's like the land of the dead is a sub basement and almost i get the feeling it's directly above it there's like a mountain which goes up even higher than the upper world and it's the very 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 top of of the worlds it's the the seventh heaven if you like and i go up there very occasionally i've only actually been up there twice i think i've seen the mountain but i've only been up it a couple of times and the spirits vary a lot in the upper world i go and ask for teachers there i may have teachers that will teach me about a healing technique i have a teacher that teaches me about um 
tanker painting. I paint t- Tibetan tankers for people from time to time. And sometimes I will go and receive empowerments and work with the beings that I have to paint, or at least emissaries of those beings, who teach me some of the iconography that I have to put into the tankers. Um, so it's much more vague. It's much more energetic and flowing and hard to pin down. Non-corporeal, perhaps, is a good word. Um, that's my upper world. I don't go there that often. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But generally, I'm a lower world practitioner. Now, in Siberia and Mongolia, the two types of shamans are quite clearly differentiated. You have what are called white shamans and black shamans, and that's absolutely nothing to do with good and evil. White shamans go to the upper world. Black shamans go to the lower world. So I guess my predilection is to do sort of black shamanic practice. And as I say, that is not in any way like black magic or anything like that. It's it's just simply the phrases that they use, black and white, low world and upper world. So I go down to the lower world and work with it in that way. Now, all of these are done with the drum and the drum alters the perception it it's like, as I've said before in a podcast, it's a bit like a carrier wave that uh, you ride on or surf on, if you want to think of it in surfing terms. And it takes you there and it brings you back. And it's not impossible to journey. I think if you're experienced with journeying, I think it's it's not impossible to journey without a drum. But I think the drum helps considerably because it does things to the mind and uh, it just makes it a lot easier. But sometimes I will sit in quiet meditation, for want of a better word, and I will either ask my spirits to come into this reality to talk to me, or I will sort of go to the threshold. I will go to the entrance place that will take me down into lower world, and I will talk to them there. So it's not like a, a, a journey in the sort of full sense, but it's a little bit like sort of standing on the doorstep. And uh, I ask my spirits different things like that and check things out with them. That's something that I've developed over the years. Um, It generally works fairly well. Sometimes I can really sense them being there and I can sort of hear them and, you know, they talk to me and and it's very concrete. Other times I get more of a sort of felt sense of what they might say to me or what they're feeling about a particular subject is or the answer to a question. So that's, that's what shamanic journeying is for me. Now, there's another whole load of stuff about what you actually do with shamanic journeying, and that includes the soul retrieval and fighting with spirits of illness and seeking questions or answers to questions, rather, and all of that sort of thing. And that's probably going to be something that we're going to have to talk about at another time. But I think probably that that's covered journeying for this particular moment. I think it's probably quite good to just talk a little bit about the spirits, though. Like, what are spirits? I used to work in uh, psychiatric daycare as a social worker, and uh, I trained as a psychotherapist too. So coming from that place, spirits don't exist in this way. From my shamanic point of view, I think spirits are completely there. I have no real problem with spirits existing in separate reality as corporeal beings. So my view of the spirits are that they are beings that do not manifest 
at least in this time, in physical reality, but which experience physical reality through interaction with the shamanic practitioner. So it becomes a sort of benevolent possession, for want of a better word, or perhaps to put it another way, it becomes a symbiotic relationship. You get to experience the aspects of the spirit's world and the spirits get to experience the aspects of this physical world. So I take what my spirits say very seriously. And having been journeying for the best part of 20 years, I've built up a relationship with those spirits. So I really do trust them. And I've seen things happen because of what they've told me that I would never have believed was going to happen. It's like they will give me instructions to do something and I'll think, oh yeah, okay, and I'll do it. And things in physical, ordinary reality, out of the blue, will happen. And I think, shit. And that happens on a regular basis. So over the years, I have learned to trust them. And I've heard this from many, many other people, that there comes a point where the spirits up the stakes and they will say to you, we're going to take you to a new level of working, but you've got to do exactly what we say and you've got to trust us. And I, I've had that happen to me. And you really, because you've got this relationship with them and because they are so real, you have to really think about that. It's like, do you really want to give up your autonomy to the spirits? And if you don't, they won't do it. I've had journeys where the spirits say, if you don't do this, never come back. And you think, okay, and you go kind of, you know, you, you take some time to think about it. And I've always, I've always done it because the relationship with the spirits is central to my life, really. I couldn't imagine what it would feel like if I didn't have the relationship with the spirits that I work with because they're like friends. They're like teachers. They, well, they are teachers. They are friends. Well, friends may be pushing it a bit. They can be bloody uncomfortable to be around sometimes because they don't give you any bullshit or they don't they don't let you give them any bullshit, I think is probably the way around it is. So working with them, developing a relationship with them, I consider them to be separate beings that actually exist. Now, I've heard from many other shamanic practitioners that they consider them to be aspects of the self, fragments of our personality. Um, which is very much a kind of Western psychological model. And yeah, okay, if you want to take it that level, that's fine. I think I probably did right at the beginning because of my therapy training. But gradually over the years, no, I don't accept that anymore. I accept the spirits are there and I accept that they're real and I accept, I don't know kind of what they are. I'm sure that they're not the animals that they portray themselves to be. And I'm sure that they have their own identity and they're, they're getting their own learning. And they're not perfect. I don't believe that they are necessarily perfect. I'm sure that they are learning too. But I think I couldn't really imagine them being part of me. I suppose there's a little bit of me that thinks, well, maybe they're part of me. Some kind of projection, some facet of my personality. But it doesn't feel like that. And anyway, in the end, it doesn't really matter. I think, I think if you work with them, you learn to trust them and you learn to, to do what they say and they give you the gifts that they give you. And that relationship will develop through time. Um, 
they've never kind of said, uh, you have to kill that person, or that item in that shop should be yours, put it in your pocket. I'm sure, I'm sure that there are people who might have spirits that say that to them, um, whether those are the spirits or whether those really are manifestations of their personality, I'm not sure. I think I'll pass on that one and leave that up to your own discretion. But for me, spirits are benevolent. They will challenge me. They will scare me. They will, they will put me in situations where I have to work hard sometimes. They don't give me any quarter, but they have always been there. And at times of difficulty, if I've been on a journey and things have gone a bit haywire, and sometimes journeys can, uh, especially if you've been practicing for a long time and you're doing sort of deeper work or heavier work, it's not all kind of uh, playtime with the spirits. It can be quite quite uncomfortable if you're perhaps fighting a, a powerful spirit that uh, is a spirit of illness or something like that. Not comfy at all. Um, but if I've been in what I would consider to be dangerous situations... The spirits have been there protecting me. They have, they have really been there in a physical way, defended me against creatures that I've met that have not been comfortable. I don't mean to paint a dark picture of shamanism. Some people don't do that sort of work at all. Some people do. That's just me. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> so um, it's just the way that the spirits work with you and everybody will have their own individual contract with the spirits and their own style of working and that's absolutely fine. It doesn't happen often for me, but sometimes I'll find myself in situations that are scary or not comfortable on journeys, um, uh, you know, working with or not, not working with, but coming up against forces that feel malevolent. Um, but uh, the spirits will always protect me and always, always do and trust that they always will. So on that slightly rambling philosophical point, I shall call it a day. Lovely to hear from you. I really enjoy your emails. I'm aware that I don't send everybody an email back because I get quite a few, but I'm trying to and I will get down the list. My email address is nick at sacredhoop.org. The website for this podcast is three worlds, three the number, threeworlds.co.uk. Please visit the Sacred Hoop website. Uh, the Sacred Hoop magazine. We're just getting issue 55 together. We'll be going to print in early February for that. Sacred Hoop magazine uh, is uh, a world-leading magazine about shamanism, which I'm the editor of with my partner, Jan. And the website for that is sacredhoop.org. And uh, there are PDFs of back issues that you can download for free. You can subscribe to the paper magazine and we'll happily send it to you wherever you live in the world, or you can uh, download uh, with a small charge a PDF of the latest issue. And uh, we're a full-colour magazine. We pride ourselves on the, the sort of beauty of our layout and the photographs. It's a very attractive magazine to look at. I say it myself, but we work bloody hard to make it look nice. So uh, I'm going to blow me on trumpet on that one because I think it is a, a very attractive and uh, interesting magazine. We try and get good articles and we put them together in, in a very visual way. It's not a kind of uh, photocopied fanzine. It's a, it's a seriously well-produced magazine. Da -da! There's the trumpet. 
And um, my own website is nicholaswood.net, and that's got my craft work on and uh, sort of painting and bits of music and all sorts of stuff like that. That's kind of my art site, if you like. And um, the Three Worlds is gradually developing into uh, a gallery sort of website which will have a lot of information about shamanism and uh, antique and original shamanic objects and Tibetan Buddhist objects for sale. Um, the website is nearly built, but not up yet. There's a, there's a small website there, uh, which is just the website for this podcast. But eventually this podcast will be incorporated into the gallery website. And there's going to be loads of articles, uh, some written by me, some written by other people, most of them having appeared in Sacred Hoop in one form or another um, over the years. And... Uh, Lots of photographs of different shamanic objects and information about them and some beautiful things for sale. Um, and uh, if you don't want to buy them, just look at them, enjoy them, because uh, I'm trying to kind of make a almost a sort of online museum of uh, of ritual objects because um, they float my boat, for want of a better expression. I really enjoy ritual objects, so uh, that's what I'm trying to do. That will be up soonish. I've got to take some photographs of some of the objects and build a few more pages. So, a few more weeks, that will be there. And uh, I think that's probably about all I need to say at this point. So, until next time, enjoy and uh, have good contact with the spirits. And uh, I'll speak to you then. Thank you. Bye. Bye.